You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to your favorite day of the week. I'm Anthony Irwin. I am joined by Adam Adas. He is in San Antonio. He flew all the way to Texas to watch his Denver Nuggets get their butts kicked. How are you doing, Adam? <laughs> that is a good way of putting it. Um, I, I'm doing great down here in Texas. How are y'all doing? <laughs> I like how the only thing that I saw you get like legit heated about over the course of, of that game, game three between San Antonio and Denver, was the Coyote making fun of Denver's state flag. Look, there is only one state that has a claim to a better flag and more flag pride in all of the 50 states, and that's Maryland. Maryland, a great flag, and, and they, they do a good job of incorporating that. You but would Texas have the... has no claim to a better flag. <laughs> you would have Maryland's state flag just ready to pull off the top of your head. <laughs> it's a beautiful flag. It's a very unique, very very bizarre looking flag i have i get credit where it's due anthony we did not have this plan i have tears in my eyes right now at the concept of adam is having state flags ready to go at the top of his head uh today's show we are going to bounce around the league uh some of these series are reaching a point where the where the favorites are kind of starting to figure some stuff out and the plucky underdogs are realizing yep this is why we were underdogs in the first place uh, but there are a couple of series that are still in question. One being, uh, one especially being, the one that Adam is is focusing on most. So today we are going to bounce around the league in segment one, talk about some general themes and stuff from from these first few games in round one. Segment two, we're going to focus on the Denver and San Antonio series because, in my opinion, that is one of maybe one or two series that is still in question at this point. In my opinion, uh, and then in segment three. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in segment three, we are going to talk – we would be remiss. I would be remiss not to update everybody on the madness that is going on with the Los Angeles Lakers that I am, quote-unquote, fortunate enough to uh, cover. Uh, but let's dive right back, right into this. These uh, the, the games that took place by the time you guys are listening to this last night. Uh, San Antonio takes care of business in their first home game of the series. Uh, the 76ers go into Brooklyn and beat the Nets handily. And then the Warriors go into L.A. and just full-on demo uh, Patrick Ruben Stuttered Beverly and the rest of, of the Los Angeles Clippers. To the point, Adam, where they were there were Warriors chants in Staples Center. Well, first of all, that's not a surprise, right? I mean, it's, it's a Clippers fan base that L.A. is a transplant city. And quite frankly, the Warriors are cool and on top. And a lot of people like to root for the front runner, but tonight you, you kind of led with it. This was, I don't want to say it wasn't a gut check night or anything like that for the Warriors. The Warriors do not take things seriously until they've either been slighted yep. uh, or they want to make a point. And, you know, they had a, an ult, ultimate collapse. Let's not forget the Warriors have dominated every quarter, but one of this series, basically yeah. they let a game slip through the cracks and they wanted to come out and make a point. And, Few teams in history, I mean, there are some, but few teams in history have been able to make the type of points on demand that the Warriors have. Tonight was one of those ones, don't forget what we're capable of, everybody. It was, it's really, it's really daunting, 
quite frank. <laughs> like it's really daunting to see the warriors just go full warriors mode cuz you don't really see it very often especially at this point of their dynasty or their run where they just they just decide, yeah, you know, we're we're going to remind everybody tonight that that this is why we are considered one of if not the best collections of talent that the NBA has ever seen. And the poor Clippers were just kind of sitting there like, "Oh, yeah." That's right. There's a picture of Patrick Beverly uh, where he's li- like sitting there on the floor. He got into some foul trouble. He's sitting there on the baseline, and you could just see it. Like it was the same exact face that Ruben Patterson had back when he said he was the Kobe <laughs> stopper. He was just like, oh, that was dumb. I should not have talked as much as I did. Well, Kevin Durant was brilliant tonight, and that comes as no surprise that he could you know, exact his revenge on, on somebody physically and just at talent level that – He's far superior to, but the defense, that's what I was going to say. For for me, the Warriors, and and sort of what's different about them than I think any other team, the Warriors' defense has not been consistently there over this extended run of theirs, but when they want it to be, they can really clamp down. And through three and a half quarters tonight, they had a defensive rating of 92. I mean, which is fantastic. 92 points per 100 possessions is what they were allowing. Meanwhile, they were putting up 140, 150 offensive rating. But defensively, the ability to say, you know what, we know you can't stop us, but when we lock up, you're just not going to score. And that's what they did tonight, holding the, the, uh, the Clippers to 62 points halfway through the, the second half, um, you know, just a dominant performance from them. And by the way, you mentioned, or, or we talked about how this was kind of in response to the loss in game two. I kind of think this was probably just a little bit something to do with the fact that the Rockets, have kind of yes, dominated like their matchup point. and 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 everybody's kind of jumped on the hole and I think rightfully so. You know, the Rockets are right back to where they were heading into the Western Conference Finals last year, which is to say they look like a legitimate contender again. They uh they apparently heard me predicting back in week one of the season that they were not gonna win. <laughs> <laughs> they were week not- one <laughs> To be fair, they still had Carmelo Anthony, and he's like the the anti MVP. <laughs> um, I want to, so we we I really like the point, and honestly, I don't have anything to add to it because it's it's so solid a point that that yeah, of course, I I I really like the idea of the oh, Warriors you. looking over. Oh. Yeah, they're looking over at Houston. They're saying like, okay, fine, they've sent these couple messages. Here's our message, right? Um, the the yeah. other message that I thought that was sent tonight was Ben Simmons going in to Brooklyn. Oh. And and just he at one point, Adam, was literally laughing at Jared Dudley, laughing at him. And <laughs> and and, you know, this is somebody who was booed on his home court, uh, who has been called a coward multiple times because he won't shoot three pointers. And, and he's hearing but mostly all of, by you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's still multiple times. <laughs> um, but he's 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 seen all these headlines. He's he's had to deal with all of this analysis and 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 the analysis of the analysis of his of his game. He goes in there and he just he just manhandles the Nets. And and you know what? I it's to me it was the most impressive performance. Even while Durant went out and and sunned Patrick Beverly. To me, yeah. Ben Simmons' performance tonight has been the 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 best per, the best individual performance that I've seen in the playoffs so far. It was it was terrific, and you know what was most interesting? I think about this Philadelphia team. By the way, I find really really compelling. Yeah. But what was compelling about tonight was this was Ben Simmons' team tonight. 
I thought yeah. Jimmy Butler did a very good job of sort of playing within, uh, you know, t- not taking a back seat, but, you know, he was a facilitator. Finding he his picked and chose his spots tonight. Yeah. He was 6 of 13 from the floor. Um, tonight, Tobias Harris scored a bunch of points. You know, J.J. Reddick got going. He had not been going uh, in the series so far. But Ben Simmons was the guy at the center of everything tonight, and it was his team. And, you know, I, I don't want to go to this point as a negative because this would be a, a great night for Philadelphia fans, but – you know, basketball is a funny sport. And Joel Embiid's such a loud um, performer. And when he's on the court, everything he does is so loud and you kind of play through him. Tonight, I thought you saw a, what looked like much more of a, a well-rounded basketball team. I'm not saying it's a better basketball team, but you felt like you had Ben Simmons and a bunch of guys fulfilling natural roles to them. And, um, and when you have that sort of clarity of what everybody's role is, you, you can be a really, really great team. That's what Philadelphia was tonight. They looked like a very, very good team. Listen to the stat line, dude. 31 points. He had the five fouls, whatever, three turnovers. He had the ball a ton. Three blocks, two steals, nine assists, four boards. He shot 11 of 13 from the field and nine of 11 from the free throw line. That's a, that's, it's, I mean, yeah. That's damn near that's a perfect game. Yeah, that, that, that's a, and 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 we talked about the the Warriors' defense and, and elevating their game on that half of the court. But I thought to me one of the more impressive things that Ben Simmons was able to pull off tonight was he, there was never a moment during that game where you didn't know he was on the court, and and oh, and that yeah. was on both oh, yeah. sides of the ball. And and it's very, it's not to say that it's a super rare thing, but it's an it's an elite. It's an elite ability. It's it's the kind of thing that the absolute best players in the sport are able to do, where at but, any given moment, you know where that guy is. But what's interesting, Anthony, is that most nights the, the 76ers have a guy like that anyway. His name's Joel Embiid. Yeah. What, what's interesting is sometimes you can have a team where both guys can fulfill that same role. Kobe and Shaq, right? Yeah. There was, in, in their heyday, you felt both of those guys every single possession, Always. but I don't think I don't think you feel that with with Ben Simmons Not and yet. Joel Embiid. So we've seen a lot of nights where Embiid's that guy. We've seen a lot of nights where Simmons is that guy. And I think tonight what was so cool is Simmons has been taking on a lot of heat lately. There's been a lot of takes about man in the playoffs series you can game plan, you can expose this or that weakness from him. Well, that's true, especially when you give him a roster of non-shooters and when he's more of an off-ball type player. You give him a roster that where he's the focal point and he can be absolutely dominant. Yeah. Yeah, I, it was it was it was again the, the the most impressive individual performance that we've seen so far, and that's all before we get to, in my opinion, one of the few like actually compelling series that we still have going. Those like the Warriors are gonna they're gonna roll and and maybe they drop a game because they get bored again. Uh, they're gonna have a few days off in L.A., so you know L.A. nightlife is gonna get to at least <laughs> one of those few guys, um, but. But most of these series, in my opinion, we kind of sort of know how they're going to turn out. I legitimately, Adam, I don't know how this is going to turn out between the Spurs and the Nuggets. And I can't wait to talk about that here in a second. So as it stands right now, Correct me, it, this is going to be a reductive take on on the series so far, but the Nuggets are a Jamal Murray crazy quarter away from being down 3-0. Oh, yeah. I, I think that's really fair. You know, game one was a really close game. Uh, Denver down one point with the basketball with 13 seconds to go. So, 
you know, you can play that game for both game one and for game two. Certainly game two took more heroics. Although I will say one other thing about game two, Jamal Murray checked into the fourth quarter. The Nuggets had already stormed back to, I think they were down three points. So Jamal Murray made that a blowout win rather than just a narrow win. Um, but nonetheless, game one and two, very close. But the storyline, you've kind of hinted at it, or at least you've alluded to what I think is the central part of this. The point guard matchup has been absolutely fascinating in, in so many different ways. And it has been incredibly lopsided in favor of Derek White. Derek White, a heck of a player, yeah. fantastic defender. A um, plus he 30. has just managed. <laughs> it felt like a plus 300, but he, he, <laughs> he was, he has, he has managed to just completely keep Jamal Murray out of the paint. And, you know, Jamal Murray, I think, gets a, he has more name recognition, I think, than, than really what he has performed at so far in his NBA career. He's a guy that he has a 48-point game, a 46-point game. He has a bunch of really big-time shots and quarters and, and gets on hot streaks. But on aggregate, sort of the average of what he has been throughout his career and been this season has been incredibly inconsistent and a lot of weaknesses. Well, Derek White and the San Antonio Spurs, I think the central storyline of this series is how the Spurs have been able to sort of uh, highlight and emphasize those weaknesses. They're twofold. Number one, Jamal Murray is really, really bad at containing guards in space and keeping people in front of him. Mm -hmm. So it's no surprise that Derek White tonight has 36 points. No surprise that he has been able to score almost at will and get to the rim almost at will because he is just attacking every single possession, going right at Murray and forcing Murray to guard him. And nights like tonight, he could not do that. And then on the flip side, Jamal Murray uh, has a, a really hard time getting around defenders. Yep. The Spurs have loaded up on Nikola Jokic, double, sometimes triple teaming him, forcing him to be a playmaker. And Jamal Murray has been the guy getting kickouts, trying to attack one-on-one. -on -one, and Derek White has completely bottled him up. Six points tonight for Jamal Murray. Six points. Derek White had 36 points on 21 attempts from the field. That's unbelievable. <laughs> here's 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 another thing that I, I kind of want to bring some attention to here. Here are the, the Nugget starters tonight. Paul Millsap, negative 32. Jokic, negative 25. Murray, negative 25. Barton, negative 23. Harris, negative 27. On the Spurs side, Aldridge, plus 27. Uh, Pirtle, plus 14. White, plus 30. DeMar DeRozan, if he's a plus in the playoffs, you know you're really in trouble. He's a plus six. <laughs> and, then, and then Bryn Forbes was a, was a plus 20. And, and look, it's been tough. It's tough. Well, there's one guy, there's one guy there that's a plus more than everybody other player. And I, I think it has more to do with, with Derek White than anything else. I mean, Aldridge, you know, 18 points tonight, DeMar DeRozan 25, you know, he had, he had some things going, Turtle mm -hmm. 10, Forbes 10, you know, there was some stuff. But it was to me, it, it really came down to Derek White. I mean, he was the guy that when he was on the court, it was a massacre. They were just dominating, and they were dominating through him. Again, 36 points for him. It wasn't a lot of, oh, you know, the Spurs, beautiful game, pass, pass, pass. It was Derek White attacking yeah. downhill and getting by that line of defense every single time uh, and putting pressure on them. And then on the other end, you know, Jokic, through the playoffs right now, he is averaging a triple-double on 50% from the field, 42% from the three-point line, 80, I think 84% from the free-throw line. So he, I think he has really performed at a high level, especially when you, you kind of factor in that the Spurs are daring somebody else to beat the Nuggets. They are loading up on yeah. him with multiple bodies on every possession. But two guys, Jamal Murray, who, I, who I've mentioned, and then the other guy, Will Barton, um, I don't know, and Barton's my guy. I really enjoy the guy. Um, 
great personality, been a great player. But he, I, have, I don't know that I've ever seen a player of, with his level of confidence and swagger um, sort of have the pressure on him and, and just sort of fold under the pressure that he has. He has really, really been painful in this one to the point that the Spurs are just no longer guarding him. And he is starting to no longer take those shots. And yeah. I just, he got, he got booed at Pepsi Center in game two by the home crowd. Uh, he shot a three-pointer that hit the side of the backboard. This is a guy that, that was a 38% three-point shooter last year. Hit the side of the backboard on a wide-open three-point shot. I, it, it's honestly, it, it's the, those two guys, Murray and Barton, are the storyline. And, and with Barton in particular, it's been tough to watch because I think mentally, I think there's a lot mentally going on with him right now that, um, like I said, it's just, it's just tough to watch. A couple, a, a couple bright spots or, or at least adjustments that can be made because of the points that you're making, in my opinion. You could correct me if I'm wrong here. But Malik Beasley can be inserted into the starting lineup. I think that would help. And and a, and a nice thing that that we saw from the Nuggets or or from Denver this uh, this last game. You know, you obviously don't like losing, but Jokic being being willing to take those three pointers, I thought was a big development. He goes three of six from deep, uh, and and given the amount of uh, attention that he is garnering from San Antonio he's going to need to to be aggressive on the catch a, a little bit more than I think he's accustomed to. What, what would you, what would you think about those two, those two potential things I, that the, yeah. the Denver can lean on? You know, I, I would disagree in this way. Okay. Um, you're right that he has to take that, but that's the last resort. If Denver is relying yeah. on Jokic to be a high volume three point shooter, then they're already, they're already at a loss. That's more of a, you know, game six, game seven. We need yeah. this from you because everybody's already been doing everything else. Break to glass me, in case of you know, emergency. That's break glass in case of emergency. And sure, he's done that well. And he three of six tonight, they lost by 20 points. So there's other problems that, you know, that's not going to solve. So um, for me, you know, inserting Malik Beasley into the starting lineup, I, I don't see that happening. But I do see Malik Beasley playing 33, 34 minutes in game four. Um, Malone last game. Jamal Murray had that fantastic fourth quarter. He had three points going into the fourth. Into the fourth, and Malone talked about, "Hey, this is what you do as a coach. You have to believe in your guys and give confidence." And the flip side of that coin is, Will Barton played a ton of minutes in the first half tonight, and it cost Denver an enormous run yeah. um, because the Spurs were just not guarding him. So uh, I don't think Malone's going to go away from him as a starter, but I do think that tonight is probably the night that he says, "You know what? He's probably a ten to fifteen minute per game guy from here on out." And those minutes will go to more floor spacers. And I'm curious to see, you know, Malik Beasley shot the ball really well, Monte Morris. I'm curious to see if Denver can start to make the Spurs pay for these double and triple. I mean, they're just leaving guys wide open on the perimeter. If they can start to make them pay for that, does that affect and change the spirit, the, the series? Because right now, all momentum is in San Antonio's favor. Do you think, do you think game four becomes a, a must win at all for, for Denver? I think there's no doubt about it. If you just went quarter by quarter and said, you know, who was the better team? I, I think Denver has claimed to maybe three or four quarters total in this series. Um, the Spurs, you know, the other eight or nine. So San Antonio has really um, controlled this series outside of a few, you know, different starts. Um, and, and so Denver does have to get something going. And, and I don't see them coming back from a 3-1 deficit. But more important than anything else, Denver has got to penalize the Spurs for playing the way that they're playing. They're loading up on the paint, loading up on Jokic, sending multiple bodies, and just daring somebody to make shots. And unfortunately, those guys just haven't been able to do that yet. You you took issue with my stance before we got going here tonight, really quickly before we send it off to segment three here, with the idea that 
there's only like one or two series that that are still in question. Uh, you were making the case for OKC Portland. Like, why why should I not think that Portland won't just go into OKC and take care of business there? Let's talk about that on the other side, because I think that's actually a really fascinating series and story that might become a really boring one. But, you know, this weekend, I think we'll separate some of that. All right. So what we're going to do, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the, the Lakers fiasco and debacle or whatever. And then at the end of the show, we are going to preview the weekend and and we could see some some seasons either end altogether or or be sent to the brink of of the end of their season. So fascinating weekend that we're heading into. And we'll preview that here in a bit. I can't lie, dude. You have like way more excitement in your voice than I would if the Lakers were do- were down two zero with Game Four being played in San Antonio. Well, you know, it all comes with what your expectations are. I mean, Denver was never winning a championship. The way the brackets shook out, you thought, oh man, they might be able to make a Western Conference Finals. But if the Utah Jazz look like this against the Houston Rockets, what would Denver look like against the Houston Rockets? <laughs> what, what would If the Clippers look like this against the Golden State Warriors, what would Denver look like? I mean, so you always knew that this season was going to end and, and you know, crash and burn for the Nuggets at some point. The number one thing, I, I you know, me as a fan and even as an analyst just wanting to, to get out of this playoffs from a Denver standpoint was knowing who they are and, and kind of knowing what their warts are. You wanted that to be revealed. And I think even through three games, Jamal Murray's defense has been a problem all year, but Denver was the two seed. And you thought, okay, maybe you can plug some of these gaps. The fact that a team like San Antonio, who doesn't have any superstars, you know, I mean, all Marcus Aldridge, DeMar DeRozan, those guys really, really good, but those aren't even the factor. The fact that Derek White can come in and dominate that matchup, I think it really shines a light on Denver's warts and, in a way that's just interesting and, and maybe even helpful for them going forward. Maybe. I, I Yeah. I, usually it's nice to find these things out relatively early, like when, when there are still things that can be done to address those issues, right? Whereas like you look at yeah, Portland, for sure. you look at Portland and if they have warts, you just kind of have to live with them, right? They don't have very much flexibility there. So, so at least Denver does have that going for them. Hey, you want to talk about warts? Let's talk about the Lakers. <laughs> man you are you are so good you need a raise david Locke. if you're listening anthony erwin needs a raise these these are the type i can't believe you didn't get nominated for an emmy with seg- segues like that <laughs> you know you know it's it's why i get paid the uh the standard sports writer box <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right uh so let's uh so I'll just really quickly catch you up on on what's been going on here with the lakers magic johnson calls an impromptu press conference, steps down, uh, and 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 takes the world by storm, basically. Like like completely shocks the world by by stepping down. And I don't think at the time realized that he was what he was doing was as impor- unprofessional as it was and as shocking as it was. I think he just kinda like walked in and was like, Yeah, I don't feel like doing this anymore and then and then went on his merry way. Uh the Lakers since then have yet to to Ask for permission to talk to anybody else uh, to fill his uh, previous position. Uh, they currently have Rob Polinka conducting interviews with prospective head coaches. Uh, there is a there is currently a huge chasm 
between Genie Bus's half of the organization and like Jesse and Joey and and the other half of the organization over there, uh, to the point where you have some leaks coming out that are very obviously like, hey, let's just put pressure on Genie to make the right decision here, uh, even if it, it's probably not going to work out. The the latest example of that is this idea of a shadow executive that the Lakers were apparently talking to and reportedly talking to. Sam Amick was able to go out there and say, like, no, something like this might actually be going on. Uh, and 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 he went so far as to say that the Lakers have their sight set on a name bigger than David Griffin. And and that would let call- me ask, let me ask a question real quick. I already I already have a question. Yeah. Does a shadow executive does a shadow executive mean like we nobody will know who that executive is? Is that why it's a shadow? It's because it's like a man behind the curtain. I well, eventually they're going to have to hire the guy, <laughs> right? Like, I, but, but what I'm saying are they just going to hire a, a consultant who is unknown, who's really the mastermind? But then you'll have a front. You, you know what I mean? Then you'll yeah. have Polinka out there just kind of doing his bidding. So that's it. So we won't even know the man behind the curtain. Not until they're hired, apparently. And here's my thing. Oh, okay. But once they're hired, okay, okay. So once they're hired, it's revealed. I got, I got you. Yeah, and well, but here's the thing. Can, this is an organization, Adam, that was fined five hundred thousand dollars for tampering. As it, if <laughs> if we're to believe this rumor right now, the Lakers are currently talking to an executive of another team uh, 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 that is currently in the playoffs, right? And they are waiting for those playoffs to end, and at that point, they can go out and, and potentially hire or try to convince this person to come over here. That 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 decision, according to these to this to this train of thought that that decision has already been made and they're going to be coming in whenever their team is done with the playoffs. And, you know, my thing is they're tampering and putting themselves at legitimate risk for no reason whatsoever. All you have to do is ask for permission to talk to the person, right? That's all they have to do. Well, maybe, maybe they tried and it wasn't granted. I mean, who knows what these leaks are coming from? Um, but I, I find it fascinating. You can almost go through the list and just say, okay, where are the guys? Who, who are the guys that have done the job? And who could they have their eye after? The thing I think with the Lakers, and to me, you can correct, you can kind of give your perspective. Yeah. You're a lot closer to this. I trust your judgment more than mine. But from an outsider perspective on this, the Lakers are being faced, uh, are being confronted with their own exceptionalism and perhaps even, you know, I still think the Lakers are always going to have a leg up for various different reasons, but maybe that leg up is less than at any point in their history. And the MO from Jeannie Buss, I think a lot of times have been find a Laker, find a big name, find a star. This is Hollywood. We need a star name. And we're talking about a league that has been taken over by dorks, by (laughs) analytics and number crunchers and, and wall street. And, you know, Oh, how can we get an edge? And, and so I don't know that just getting the big name and having the charismatic guy in the room, I don't know that that is enough anymore. It isn't. We found who's the greatest, who's a better example of this exceptional exceptionalism that you're talking about than Magic Johnson. Right, right. Like who's He's who, sort of the face of it. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was, he was, there's nobody else who would have hired Magic for that position. There's nobody who else would have dealt with him being an absentee executive. There's nobody else who would have who would have tried to to frame it his de- his departure at the time is anything other than like hugely unprofessional right but it's the lakers and he's magic and he's this superstar he's this la icon and and yeah you're you're completely right and that's why you know to to continue with this weird rumor that's been going on there that's who apparently the lakers are targeted targeting they have their eyes set on 
on a Bob Myers or a Sam Presti or an R.C. Buford or a Masai Ujiri. Like the, all of those names have been in some way, shape or form tied to the Lakers and through back channels and stuff in whispers that you kind of hear around uh, around the team. And and yet. Jeannie is probably if I had to put my money on it, she's probably going to stick with Rob Polanka because he represents like he at one point represented Kobe and is kind of sort of a, a proxy of Kobe who is, you know, if, if they're going to try to find a middle ground between where the league is right now and that exceptionalism that you and I talked about a second ago, it's Polinka. And and even if that's going to preclude her and the Lakers from some executives who are legitimately interested in this, who would be incredible hires, they're just saying, nope, now nah, we're we're good with we're good with Kobe's guy. We're fine. And it's wild to me. That's crazy. It's a, it's a four billion dollar asset. This Lakers organization, maybe five billion. I don't know what the yeah. valuation, but several billions. It's worth a lot. And, and I think with the way the league is now, it, it has to be treated as such. You know, I, I do think you know the league has always had a ton of talent, um, but I do think there was an era when you could say we got Kobe and Shaq. Let's fill in the margins with you know some good teammates and let's get the. Kobe. I think now the league is so competitive and and all of the smartest minds in the point. world are trying to get hired into this. That now it's not enough just to have Kobe and Shaq. It's not just enough to have the two stars and then oh it doesn't you know just get some some role play. Every margin is a battleground in the NBA right now. Some of those margins are huge. Some of those margins are awfully small, but they all add up. And every team or every successful team is fighting battles on every margin. And it just feels like the Lakers are are not fighting any of those margins at the moment. <laughs> and they're hoping that. They're just hoping that the you know oh we got LeBron well what's plan you know what are we going to do now to maximize LeBron it doesn't matter we got LeBron right and, and so and that that's kind of I think the disconnect yeah well I I completely agree and and it's to the point now where their inability their ineptitude on those margins only is is only further highlighted by the by the presence of LeBron if they sign another superstar if if they sign Kawhi Leonard that's only going to make put more pressure on them to make those margins work because of the expectations that come with the Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James team. If they go out and, and let's say they go for a, a Jimmy Butler or a Kemba Walker and they trade for Anthony Davis, again, now you you have fewer assets to be able to make these margins work, and they just haven't shown that ability to do so. And 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 I think this is starting at the very top. This is starting with, with Jeannie Buss being, in my opinion, completely in over her head. Because of the plausible deniability that she's tried to work with for, for so many years that she gets into the spot where she actually has this power that she can wield. And she's saying, well, he's standing next to me right now. He makes sense. <laughs> and it, and it's going it's, well, it's really yeah. going to hurt. The, the difficult thing for Jeannie Buss and for the Lakers organization, NBA organizations are, are you know, oil tankers. Not, they're not uh, speedboats, right? Yeah. They're cruise ships, not speedboats. It, I don't think the Lakers can change their culture, their identity, and fight all of these battles on the margins in one day. I don't think it's like, okay, we hired this guy. It's going to take, I think, years of mm-hmm. sort of putting the, the, the groundwork in place. And you look at Steve Ballmer. He's been with the Clippers now. How many years has it been? Four or five? I, I feel like just over the last year or two is when that organization has sort of it come into focus. And, and the clarity of what they're trying to do and who they're trying to become has come into focus. And I'm not even talking about their roster, which is due for an overhaul. Yeah. But I'm just talking about you know the way that they run, their the perception. type of organization they want to be, their perception, reputation. And for the Lakers, 
you know, they are a cruise ship headed in the wrong direction. <laughs> Turning that around is not going to be, oh, we got this guy. We just got this genius. And he's, it almost reminds me of that movie, Idiocracy. We got this guy, not sure who's going to solve the crops. You know, like, <laughs> and he's got three days. <laughs> it's, like, it's not like... It's not like some obscure reference there, but it's not like that. You know, it's going to be a thing where it's going to take time. There's going to be steps and they can't skip those steps. So it turns out what the Lakers need to figure out a way to do is water their crops with water and not Gatorade. <laughs> That's... Well, Gatorade does have electrolytes. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's quickly preview the weekend to come. Uh, just about every team is going to be in action over the weekend. A couple seasons might be might be at risk. Uh, we might either either I don't think any any seasons can actually end by the time the weekend is over. But, you know, we're, we're, we'll reach a point like in the Milwaukee and Detroit series where it may it's all done. But the but the singing and and stuff like that. What's the number one thing you're looking forward to most over the course of the next three days or so? Well, personally, it's going to be Nugget Spurs, but I'm going to throw that one out. I think a lot of people would have that one. You know, Denver bounced back and ties the series 2-2. That's what I'm watching seven-game series, and yeah, it's exciting. But outside of that, Portland <laughs> OKC is fascinating to me. Portland, you know, Oklahoma City has been sort of in a tailspin for a month and a half now. But they still get to go back to their home court. There's the old adage that, you know, a series doesn't really begin until a team loses on their home court. Mm -hmm. I don't think that series is over by any means. And part of that is because I don't think Portland is this indestructible force. Yeah. You know, they're vulnerable and they can be beaten. Um, and, and, you know, you get that series to 2-1. I think it's you're right back in it. It's anybody's, uh, anybody's series. So I find, you know, that one goes, I think, high on the list for me of, of series I'm most excited to watch. I'm nervous about that one just because I, I, I want to agree with you. I just think Paul George is hurt. You know, and if Paul right. George yeah. if, if yeah. Paul George isn't a hundred percent, then you know it's it's basically over. The one thing that I will say in OKC's favor is so the way I phrased it, I went on I went on a OKC uh podcast after they played the Lakers a, a couple weeks ago. And the way that I kind of analyzed their their role players is they have guys who can knock down shooters. Or they have they have guys who can knock down shots. They don't have not they don't have shooters, right? They don't have the guys who yeah. just you see them open, and you say, "Oh crap, that's not a good thing," and and yeah. you know maybe in OKC back at home in front of in front of their home crowd they get back to knocking down knocking down shots. Uh, the one thing that they really have to be cognizant of though is like Russell Westbrook can't get into another one on one thing. It hurt him last year with Ricky Rubio. It hurt him again in 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 their last game against Portland. Just back off, dude. <laughs> like just, just Damian, let go. Damian Lillard, by the way, winning that battle, um, which is oh. kind of its own its own story. Dominating that battle, you can say. Uh, Toronto, Orlando. I know nobody. I don't think anybody's picking Orlando, but that's a series that's one one. And with Toronto's history, you know, you fall yeah. down one two, anything can happen. And and Orlando going home. You know, first playoff game. You know, it's it, it's a big one. And then Boston, Indiana. I don't expect Indiana to beat the the Celtics, but I will say, Indiana is a better team, in my opinion. If they have one more score, maybe I don't know a Victor Oladipo. <laughs> their problem, their, their their defense is so fantastic and so phenomenal. I Miles just Turner. love this. I just love Good everything Lord. about this team. But they are just vulnerable to not scoring any points in a quarter. I mean, what did they have the other day? Eight points in a quarter. Um, they go on these the three points halfway through the fourth quarter the other night. They have these scoring droughts that, unfortunately, I don't know if they can prevent. But you go home, maybe guys get a little bit more loose. 
that defense is good enough to keep you in games most nights. So I, I'm excited for that one as well. I want to agree. It's just like you said, like it, it there, there's just always this one aspect of all of these series that other than the Denver San Antonio one that, that I can just say like, yeah, but if it's, if that's just the case, then this is over, right? If, if Paul George is hurt, then that thing is over. The, the Indiana not having Victor Oladipo, like it's shown itself to, to have such an impact on, on the way that that series is going to play out that it's hard for me to like fully buy into whatever's going on there. But you know what? I'll say this. We don't, we don't watch the NBA playoffs necessarily for long-term impact on, on, on the stakes at play. Right. Like there's there would be no reason whatsoever to watch an NBA game that doesn't feature the Golden State Warriors if all we cared about was, well, the Warriors are going to win at the end of the thing anyway. Right. So, like, right. right. Yeah, I, I still think even even while I say that, I think a lot of these series might be on their way to being figured out. There's still plenty of opportunity for drama to be built up over the course of this weekend that will make this weekend fun. Does that make sense? Makes absolute sense. That's why we like basketball. A yeah. lot of the times we know how the story ends, but we want to see how we get there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. All right. That'll do it for this episode of the Locked On NBA podcast and this week of the NBA Locked On NBA podcast. Thank you guys very much for tuning in. Make sure you guys are tuning in every single day as we provide you guys up to the date, up to the evening analysis of each of these playoff series as they go along. And then every so often I'll jump in here and, and, and update people on on the travesty that is the Los Angeles Lakers. Adam, good luck in San Antonio. Thank you.